0: Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, John Hagedorn. It's time for Chapter 12 of Hound to the Baskervilles by Arthur Conan Doyle. Titled Death on the Moor. For a moment or two, I sat breathless, hardly able to believe my ears. Then my senses and my voice came back to me, while a crushing weight of responsibility seemed in an instant to be lifted from my soul. "'That cold, incisive, ironical voice "'could belong to but one man in all the world. "'Holmes!' I cried. "'Holmes!' "'Come out,' said he, "'and please be careful with the revolver.' "'I stooped under the rude lintel, "'and there he sat upon a stone outside, "'his gray eyes dancing with amusement "'as they fell upon my astonished features. "'He was thin and worn, "'but clear and alert, "'his keen face bronzed by the sun,' "'and roughened by the wind. "'In his tweed suit and cloth cap "'he looked like any other tourist upon the moor, "'and he had contrived, "'with that cat-like love of personal cleanliness "'which was one of his characteristics, "'that his chin should be as smooth "'and his linen as perfect "'as if he were in Baker Street. "'I never was more glad "'to see anyone in my life,' "'I said, as I wrung him by the hand. "'Or more astonished, eh? "'Well, "'I must confess to it. The surprise was not all on one side, I assure you. I had no idea that you had found my occasional retreat, still less that you had made it inside, until I was within twenty paces of you. My footprint, I presume? No, Watson, I fear that I could not undertake to recognize your footprint amid all the footprints of the world. If you seriously desire to deceive me, you must change your tobacconist, for when I see the stub of a cigarette marked Bradley, Oxford Street, I know that my friend Watson is in the neighborhood. You will see it there beside the path. You threw it down, no doubt, at that supreme moment when you charged into the empty hut. Exactly. I thought as much, and knowing your admirable tenacity, I was convinced that you were sitting in ambush, a weapon within reach, waiting for the tenant to return. So you actually thought that I was the criminal. I did not know who you were, but I was determined to find out. "'Excellent, Watson. And how did you localize me? You saw me, perhaps, on the night of the convict-hunt, when I was so imprudent as to allow the moon to rise behind me?' "'Yes, I saw you then. And have no doubt searched all the huts until you came to this one?' "'No, your boy had been observed, and that gave me a guide where to look. "'The old gentleman with the telescope, no doubt. I could not make it out when I first saw the light flashing upon the lens.' He rose and peeped into the hut. Ha! I see that Cartwright has brought up some supplies. What's this paper? So you've been to Coombe Tracy, have you? Yes. To see Mrs. Laura Lyons. Exactly. Well done. Our researchers have evidently been running on parallel lines, and when we unite our results, I expect we shall have a fairly full knowledge of the case. Well, I am glad from my heart that you're here for indeed the responsibility and the mystery were both becoming too much for my nerves. But how in the name of wonder did you come here, and what have you been doing? I thought that you were in Baker Street, working out that case of blackmailing. That was what I wished you to think. Then you use me, and yet do not trust me, I cried with some bitterness. I think that I have deserved better at your hands, Holmes. You have been invaluable to me in this, as in many other cases." and I beg that you will forgive me if I have seemed to play a trick upon you. In truth, it was partly for your own sake that I did it, and it was my appreciation of the danger which you ran which led me to come down and examine the matter for myself. Had I been with Sir Henry, and you, it is confident that my point of view would have been the same as yours, and my presence would have warned our very formidable opponents to be on their guard. As it is, I've been able to get about, as I could not possibly have done had I been living in the hall, and I remain an unknown factor in the business, ready to throw in all my weight at a critical moment. But why keep me in the dark? For you to know could not have helped us, and might possibly have led to my discovery. You would have wished to tell me something, or in your kindness you would have brought me out some comfort or other, and so an unnecessary risk would have been run. I brought Cartwright down with me. YOU REMEMBER THE LITTLE CHAP IN THE EXPRESS OFFICE? AND HE HAS SEEN AFTER MY SIMPLE WANTS, A LOAF OF BREAD AND A CLEAN COLLAR. WHAT DOES MAN NEED MORE? HE HAS GIVEN ME AN EXTRA PAIR OF EYES UPON A VERY ACTIVE PAIR OF FEET, AND BOTH OF THOSE HAVE BEEN INVALUABLE. THEN MY REPORTS HAVE ALL BEEN WASTED? MY VOICE TREMBLED AS I RECALLED THE PAINS AND THE PRIDE WITH WHICH I HAD COMPOSED THEM. HOLMES TOOK A BUNDLE OF PAPERS FROM HIS POCKET. "'Here are your reports, my dear Watson, and very well-thumbed, I assure you. I made excellent arrangements, and they are only delayed one day upon their way. I must compliment you exceedingly upon the zeal and the intelligence which you have shown over an extraordinary difficult case.' I was still rather raw over the deception which had been practiced upon me, but the warmth of Holmes's praise drove my anger from my mind. I felt also in my heart that he was right in what he had said, and that it was really best for our purpose that I should not have known that he was upon the moor. "'That's better,' said he, seeing the shadow rise from my face. "'And now, tell me the result of your visit to Mrs. Laura Lyons. It was not difficult for me to guess that it was to see her that you had gone, for I am already aware that she's the one person in Coombe Tracy who might be of service to us in the matter. In fact, if you had not gone today—' It is exceedingly probable that I should have gone tomorrow. The sun had set, and dusk was settling over the moor. The air had turned chill, and we withdrew into the hut for warmth. There, sitting together in the twilight, I told Holmes of my conversation with the lady. So interested was he that I had to repeat some of it twice before he was satisfied. This is most important, said he when I had concluded. "'It fills up a gap which I had been unable to bridge "'in this most complex affair. "'You are aware, perhaps, that a close intimacy exists "'between this lady and the man, Stapleton?' "'I did not know of a close intimacy.' "'Well, there can be no doubt about that matter. "'They meet, they write. "'There is a complete understanding between them. "'Now this puts a very powerful weapon into our hands. "'If I could only use it to detach his wife,' "'His wife? "'I am giving you some information now, "'in return for all that you have given me. "'The lady who has passed here as Miss Stapleton "'is in reality his wife.' "'Good heavens, Holmes! "'Are you sure of what you say? "'How could he have permitted Sir Henry "'to fall in love with her?' "'Sir Henry's falling in love "'could do no harm to anyone except Sir Henry. "'He took particular care "'that Sir Henry did not make love to her.' as you have yourself observed. I repeat that the lady is his wife and not his sister. But why this elaborate deception? Because he foresaw that she would be very much more useful to him in the character of a free woman. All my unspoken instincts, my vague suspicions, suddenly took shape and centered upon the naturalist. In that impassive, colorless man, with his straw hat and his butterfly net, I seem to see something terrible, a creature of infinite patience and craft, with a smiling face and a murderous heart. It is he, then, who is our enemy? It is he who dogged us in London? So I read the riddle, yes. And the warning? It must have come from her. Exactly. The shape of some monstrous villainy, half seen, half-guessed, loomed to the darkness which had girt me so long. "'But are you sure of this, Holmes? How do you know that the woman is his wife?' "'Because he so far forgot himself as to tell you a true piece of autobiography upon the occasion when he first met you, and I dare say he has many a time regretted it since. It was once a schoolmaster in the north of England. Now there is no more person easier to trace than a schoolmaster.' There are scholastic agencies by which one may identify any man who has been in the profession. A little investigation showed me that a school had come to grief under atrocious circumstances, and that the man who had owned it, the name was different, had disappeared with his wife. The descriptions agreed. When I learned that the missing man was devoted to entomology, the identification was complete. The darkness was rising, but much was still hidden by the shadows. If this woman is in truth his wife, where does Mrs. Laura Lyons come in? I asked. That is one of the points upon which your own researches have shed a light. Your interview with the lady has cleared the situation very much. I did not know about a projected divorce between herself and her husband. In that case, regarding Stapleton as an unmarried man, she counted no doubt upon becoming his wife. And when is she undeceived? Why, "'then we may find the Lady of Service. "'It must be our first duty to see her, "'both of us, tomorrow. "'Don't you think, Watson, "'that you are away from your charge rather long? "'Your place should be at Baskerville Hall.' "'The last red streaks had faded away in the west, "'and night had settled upon the moor. "'A few faint stars were gleaming in a violet sky. "'One last question, Holmes,' I said as I rose. "'Surely there is no need of secrecy between you and me.' what is the meaning of it all? What is he after?' Holmes's voice sank as he answered. "'It is murder, Watson. Refined, cold-blooded, deliberate murder. Do not ask me for particulars. My nets are closing upon him, even as his are upon Sir Henry. And with your help, he is already almost at my mercy. There is but one danger which can threaten us.' "'it is that he should strike before we are ready to do so. "'Another day, two at the most, and I have my case complete. "'But until then, guard your charge as closely as ever "'a fond mother watched her ailing child. "'Your mission today has justified itself, "'and yet I could almost wish that you had not left his side. "'Hark!' "'A terrible scream, a prolonged yell of horror and anguish "'burst out of the silence of the moor.' "'That frightful cry turned the blood to ice in my veins. "'Oh, my God!' I gasped. "'What is it? What does it mean?' "'Holmes had sprung to his feet, "'and I saw his dark, athletic outline at the door of the hut, "'his shoulders stooping, his head thrust forward, "'his face peering into the darkness. "'Hush!' he whispered. "'Hush!' "'The cry had been loud on account of its vehemence, "'but it had peeled out from somewhere far off on the shadowy plain.' Now it burst upon our ears, nearer, louder, more urgent than before. "'Where is it?' Holmes whispered, and I knew from the thrill of his voice that he, the man of iron, was shaken to the soul. "'Where is it, Watson?' "'There, I think,' I pointed into the darkness. "'No, there!' Again the agonized cry swept through the silent night, louder and much nearer than ever." AND A NEW SOUND MINGLED WITH IT, A DEEP, MUTTERED RUMBLE, MUSICAL AND YET MENACING, RISING AND FALLING LIKE THE LOW, CONSTANT MURMUR OF THE SEA. THE hound! CRIED HOLMES. COME, WATSON, COME. GREAT HEAVENS, IF WE'RE TOO LATE. HE HAD STARTED RUNNING SWIFTLY OVER THE MOOR, AND I HAD FOLLOWED AT HIS HEELS. BUT NOW FROM SOMEWHERE AMONG THE BROKEN GROUND, IMMEDIATELY IN FRONT OF US, THERE CAME ONE LAST DESPAIRING YELL. And then a dull, heavy thud. We halted and listened. Not another sound broke the heavy silence of the windless night. I saw Holmes put his hand to his forehead like a man distracted. He stamped his feet upon the ground. He has beaten us, Watson! We're too late! No, no, surely not! Fool that I was to hold my hand! And you, Watson, see what comes of abandoning your charge? But by heaven, "'If the worst has happened, we'll avenge him!' Blindly we ran through the gloom, blundering against boulders, forcing our way through heavy bushes, panting up hills and running down slopes, heading always in the direction whence those dreadful sounds had come. At every rise Holmes looked eagerly round him, but the shadows were thick upon the moor, and nothing moved upon its dreary face. "'Can you see anything?' "'Nothing.' "'But hark! "'What is that?' A low moan had fallen upon our ears. There it was again, upon our left. On that side a ridge of rocks ended in a sheer cliff which overlooked a stone-strewn slope. On its jagged face was spread-eagled some dark, irregular object. As we ran towards it, the vague outline hardened into a definite shape. It was a prostrate man face downward upon the ground. The head doubled under him at a horrible angle. The shoulders rounded and the body hunched together, "'as if in the act of throwing a somersault. "'So grotesque was the attitude "'that I could not for an instant realize "'that the moan had been the passing of his soul. "'Not a whisper, not a rustle, "'rose now from the dark figure over which we stooped. "'Holmes laid his hand upon him "'and held it up again with exclamation of horror. "'The gleam of the match which he struck "'shone upon his clotted fingers "'and upon the ghastly pool "'which widened slowly from the crushed skull of the victim.' and it shone upon something else which turned our hearts sick and faint within us—the body of Sir Henry Baskerville. There was no chance of either of us forgetting that peculiar ruddy tweed suit, the very one which he had worn on the first morning that we had seen him in Baker Street. We caught the one clear glimpse of it, and then the match flickered and went out, even as the hope had gone out of our souls. Holmes groaned, and his face glimmered white through the darkness. "'The brute!' I cried with my clenched hands. "'Oh, Holmes, I shall never forgive myself for having left him to his fate. "'I am more to blame than you, Watson. "'In order to have my case well-rounded and complete, "'I've thrown away the life of my client. "'It's the greatest blow which has befallen me in my career. "'But how could I know, how could I know, "'that he would risk his life alone upon the moor, "'in the face of all my warnings?' THAT WE SHOULD HAVE HEARD HIS SCREAMS, MY GOD, THOSE SCREAMS, AND YET HAVE BEEN UNABLE TO SAVE HIM. WHERE IS THIS brute OF A hound WHICH DROVE HIM TO HIS DEATH? IT MAY BE LURKING AMONG THESE ROCKS AT THIS INSTANT. AND STAPLETON, WHERE IS HE? HE SHALL ANSWER FOR THIS DEED. HE SHALL. I WILL SEE TO THAT. UNCLE AND NEPHEW HAVE BEEN MURDERED, THE ONE, FRIGHTENED TO DEATH BY THE VERY SIGHT OF A BEAST WHICH HE THOUGHT TO BE SUPERNATURAL. THE OTHER DRIVEN TO HIS END IN A WILD FLIGHT TO ESCAPE FROM IT. BUT NOW WE HAVE TO PROVE THE CONNECTION BETWEEN THE MAN AND THE BEAST. SAVE FROM WHAT WE'VE HEARD, WE CANNOT EVEN SWEAR TO THE EXISTENCE OF THE LATTER, SINCE SIR HENRY HAS EVIDENTLY DIED FROM THE FALL. BUT, BY HEAVENS, CUNNING AS HE IS, THE FELLOW SHALL BE IN MY POWER BEFORE ANOTHER DAY IS PASSED. we stood with bitter hearts on either side of the mangled body, overwhelmed by this sudden and irrevocable disaster which had brought all our long and wearied labors to so piteous an end. Then, as the moon rose, we climbed to the top of the rocks over which our poor friend had fallen, and from the summit we gazed out over the shadowy moor, half silver and half gloom. Far away, miles off, in the direction of Grimpen, "'A single steady yellow light was shining. "'It could only come from the lonely abode of the Stapletons. "'With a bitter curse, I shook my fist at it as I gazed. "'Why should we not seize him at once? "'Our case is not complete. "'The fellow is wary and cunning to the last degree. "'It is not what we know, but what we can prove. "'If we make one false move, the villain may escape us yet.' "'What can we do? "'There will be plenty for us to do tomorrow. "'Tonight we can only perform the last offices "'to our poor friend.' "'Together we made our way down the precipitous slope "'and approached the body, black and clear "'against the silvered stones. "'The agony of those contorted limbs "'struck me with a spasm of pain "'and blurred my eyes with tears. "'We must send for help, Holmes. "'We cannot carry him all the way to the hall.' GOOD HEAVENS! ARE YOU MAD? HE HAD UTTERED A CRY AND BENT OVER THE BODY. NOW HE WAS DANCING AND LAUGHING AND wringing MY HAND. COULD THIS BE MY STERN, SELF-CONTAINED FRIEND? THESE WERE HIDDEN FIRES INDEED. A BEARD! A BEARD! THE MAN HAS A BEARD! A BEARD? IT IS NOT THE BARONET. IT IS... WHY, IT'S MY NEIGHBOR. THE CONVICT. With feverish haste we had turned the body over, and that dripping beard was pointing up to the cold, clear moon. There could be no doubt about the beetling forehead, the sunken animal eyes. It was indeed the same face which had glared upon me in the light of the candle from over the rock, the face of Selden, the criminal. Then, in an instant, it was all clear to me. I remembered how the baronet had told me that he had handed his old wardrobe to Barrymore. Barrymore had passed it on in order to help Selden in his escape. Boots, shirt, cap—it was all Sir Henry's. The tragedy was still black enough, but this man had at least deserved death by the laws of his country. I told Holmes how the matter stood, my heart bubbling over with thankfulness and joy. "'Then the clothes have been the poor devil's death,' said he. "'It is clear enough that the hound has been laid on from some article of Sir Henry's.' The boot which was abstracted in the hotel, in all probability, and so ran this man down. There is one very singular thing, however. How came Selden, in the darkness, to know that the hound was on his trail? He heard him. To hear a hound upon the moor would not work a hard man like this convict into such a paroxysm of terror that he would risk recapture by screaming wildly for help. "'By his cries he must have run a long way "'after he knew the animal was on his track. "'How did he know? "'A greater mystery to me "'is why this hound, "'presuming that all our conjectures are correct, "'I presume nothing. "'Well, then, "'why this hound should be loose tonight. "'I suppose that it does not always run loose "'upon the moor. "'Stapleton would not let it go "'unless he had reason to think "'that Sir Henry would be there.' "'My difficulty is the more formidable of the two, "'for I think that we shall very shortly "'get an explanation of yours, "'while mine may remain forever a mystery. "'The question now is what shall we do "'with this poor wretch's body. "'We cannot leave it here to the foxes and the ravens. "'I suggest that we put it in one of the huts "'until we can communicate with the police. "'Exactly. "'I have no doubt that you and I could carry it so far. "'Hello, Watson, what's this?' "'It's the man himself, by all that's wonderful and audacious. "'Not a word to show your suspicions. "'Not a word. "'Or my plans crumble to the ground.' "'A figure was approaching us over the moor, "'and I saw the dull red glow of a cigar. "'The moon shone upon him, "'and I could distinguish the dapper shape "'and jaunty walk of the naturalist. "'He stopped when he saw us, "'and then came on again. "'Why... "'Why, Dr. Watson?' That's not you, is it? You're the last man that I should have expected to see out on the moor at this time of night. But dear me, what's this? Somebody hurt? No. Don't tell me it's our friend Sir Henry. He hurried past me and stooped over the dead man. I heard a sharp intake of his breath and the cigar fell from his fingers. Who's this? He stammered. "'It is Selden, the man who escaped from Princetown. Stapleton turned a ghastly face upon us, but by a supreme effort he had overcome his amazement and his disappointment. He looked sharply from Holmes to me. "'Dear me! What a very shocking affair! How did he die? "'He appears to have broken his neck by falling over these rocks. "'My friend and I were strolling on the moor when we heard a cry. "'I heard a cry also.' "'That was what brought me out. "'I was uneasy about Sir Henry. "'Why about Sir Henry in particular?' "'I couldn't help asking. "'Because I had suggested that he should come over. "'When he did not come, I was surprised, "'and I naturally became alarmed for his safety "'when I heard cries upon the moor. "'By the way,' "'his eyes darted again from my face to Holmes, "'did you hear anything else besides a cry?' "'No,' said Holmes. "'Did you?' "'No.' "'What do you mean, then?' "'Oh, you know, the stories that the peasants all tell about a hound and so on. It is said to be heard at night upon the moor. I was wondering if there were any evidence of such a sound tonight.' Now we heard nothing of the kind,' said I. "'And what is your theory of this poor fellow's death?' "'I have no doubt that anxiety and exposure have driven him off his head. He's rushed about the moor in a crazy state.' and eventually fallen over here and broken his neck. "'That does seem the most reasonable theory,' said Stapleton, and he gave a sigh which I took to indicate his relief. "'What do you think about it, Mr. Sherlock Holmes?' My friend bowed his compliments. "'You are quick at identification,' said he. "'We've been expecting you in these parts since Dr. Watson came down. "'You are in time to see a tragedy.' Yes, indeed. I have no doubt that my friend's explanation will cover the facts. I will take an unpleasant remembrance back to London with me tomorrow. Oh, you return tomorrow? That is my intention, yes. I hope your visit has cast some light upon those occurrences which have puzzled us. Holmes shrugged his shoulders. Al, well, one cannot always have the success for which one hopes. An investigator needs facts, and not legends or rumors. It has not been a satisfactory case. My friend spoke in his frankest and most unconcerned manner. Stapleton still looked hard at him. Then he turned to me. I would suggest carrying this poor fellow to my house, but it would give my sister such a fright that I do not feel justified in doing it. I think that if we put something over his face, he'll be safe till morning. And so it was arranged. Resisting Stapleton's offer of hospitality, Holmes and I set off to Baskerville Hall, leaving the naturalist to return alone. Looking back, we saw the figure moving slowly away over the broad moor, and behind him, that one black smudge on the silvered slope, which showed where the man was lying who had come so horribly to his end. "'We're at close grips at last,' said Holmes, as we walked together across the moor. "'What a nerve that fellow has! How he pulled himself together in the face of what must have been a paralyzing shock!' "'when he found that the wrong man had fallen victim to his plot. "'I told you in London, Watson, and I tell you now again, "'that we've never had a foe more worthy of our steel. "'I am sorry that he has seen you. "'And so was I at first, but there was no getting out of it. "'What effect do you think it'll have upon his plans now that he knows you're here? "'It may cause him to be more cautious, "'or it may drive him to desperate measures at once.' Like most clever criminals, he may be too confident in his own cleverness and imagine that he has completely deceived us. Why should we not arrest him at once? My dear Watson, you were born to be a man of action. Your instinct is always to do something energetic. But supposing, for argument's sake, that we had him arrested tonight, what on earth the better off should we be for that? We could prove nothing against him. There is the devilish cunning of it. "'If he were acting through a human agent, "'we could get some evidence. "'But if we were to drag this great dog "'to the light of day, it "'would not help us in putting a rope "'round the neck of his master. "'Surely we have a case. "'Not a shadow of one, "'only surmise and conjecture. "'We should be laughed out of court "'if we came with such a story "'and such evidence. "'There is Sir Charles's death.' "'Found dead!' without a mark upon him. You and I know that he died of sheer fright, and we know also what frightened him. But how are we to get twelve stolid jurymen to know it? What signs are there of a hound? Where are the marks of its fangs? Of course we know that a hound does not bite a dead body, and that Sir Charles was dead before ever the brute before ever the brute overtook him. But we have but we have to prove all this, and we're not in a position to do it. "'Well, then, tonight?' "'We're not much better off tonight. Again, there was no direct connection between the hound and the man's death. We never saw the hound. We heard it, but we could not prove that it was running upon this man's trail. There is a complete absence of motive. "'No, my dear Holmes, we must reconcile ourselves to the fact that we have no case at present, and that it is worth our while to run any risk in order to establish one.' and how do you propose to do so? I have great hopes of what Miss Laura Lyons may do for us when the position of affairs is made clear to her, and I have my own plan as well. Sufficient for tomorrow is the evil thereof, but I hope before the day is past to have the upper hand at last. I could draw nothing further from him, and he walked, lost in thought, as far as the Baskerville gates. Are you coming up? Yes. I see no reason for further concealment. "'But one last word, Watson. "'Say nothing of the hound to Sir Henry. "'Let him think that Selden's death "'was as Stapleton would have us to believe. "'He will have a better nerve, then, "'for the ordeal which he will have to undergo tomorrow, "'when he is engaged, if I remember your report aright, "'to dine with these people.' "'And so am I. "'Then you must excuse yourself, and he must go alone. "'That will be easily arranged.' And now, if we're too late for dinner, I think that we're both ready for our suppers. And now, Chapter 13 of The Hound of the Baskervilles by Arthur Conan Doyle. Hope you're enjoying the story so far. I know I am. Fixing the Nets Sir Henry was more pleased than surprised to see Sherlock Holmes. "'for he had for some days been expecting "'that recent events would bring him down from London. "'He did raise his eyebrows, however, "'when he found that my friend had neither any luggage "'nor any explanations for its absence. "'Between us we soon supplied his wants, "'and then over a belated supper "'we explained to the baronet as much of our experience "'as it seemed desirable that he should know. "'But first I had the unpleasant duty "'of breaking the news to Barrymore and his wife. "'To him it may have been an unmitigated relief.' "'but she wept bitterly in her apron. "'To all the world he was the man of violence, "'half animal and half demon. "'But to her he always remained "'the little willful boy of her own girlhood, "'the child who had clung to her hand. "'Evil, indeed, is the man "'who has not one woman to mourn him.' "'I've been moping in the house all day "'since Watson went off in the morning,' "'said the baronet. "'I guess I should have some credit, "'for I have kept my promise.' "'If I hadn't sworn not to go about alone, "'I might have had a more lively evening. "'For I had a message from Stapleton asking me over there. "'I have no doubt that you would have had a more lively evening,' "'said Holmes, dryly. "'By the way, I don't suppose you appreciate "'that we have been mourning over you, "'as having broken your neck?' "'Sir Henry opened his eyes. "'How is that? "'This poor wretch was dressed in your clothes. "'I fear your servant who gave them to him—' may get into trouble with the police. That is unlikely. There was no mark on any of them, as far as I know. That's lucky for him. In fact, it's lucky for all of you, since you are all on the wrong side of the law in this matter. I'm not sure that as a conscientious detective my first duty is not to arrest the whole household. Watson's reports are most incriminating documents. But how about the case? asked the baronet. Have you made anything out of the tangle? I don't know what Watson and I are much the wiser. I don't know that Watson and I are much the wiser since we came down. I think that I shall be in a position to make the situation rather more clear to you before long. It has been an exceedingly difficult and most complicated business. There are several points upon which we still want light, but it is coming all the same. We've had one experience, as Watson has no doubt told you, We heard the hound on the moor, so I can swear that it is not all empty superstition. I had something to do with dogs when I was out west, and I know one when I hear one. If you can muzzle that one and put him on a chain, I'll be ready to swear you are the greatest detective of all time. I think I will muzzle him and chain him, all right, if you will give me your help. Whatever you tell me to do, I will do. Very good, and I will ask you also to do it blindly, without always asking the reason. Just as you like. If you will do this, I think the chances are that our little problem will soon be solved. I have no doubt. He stopped suddenly, and stared fixedly up over my head, into the air. The lamp beat upon his face, and so intent was it, and so still, that it might have been that of a clear-cut classical statue, a personification of alertness and expectation. What is it? we both cried. I could see as he looked down that he was repressing some internal emotion. His features were still composed, but his eyes shone with amused exultation. "'Excuse the admiration of a connoisseur,' said he, as he waved his hands toward the line of portraits which covered an opposite wall. Watson won't allow that I know anything of art, but that is mere jealousy, because our views upon the subject differ.' "'Now these are a really fine series of portraits.' "'Well, I'm glad to hear you say so,' said Sir Henry, glancing with some surprise at my friend. "'I don't pretend to know much about these things, and I'd be a better judge of a horse or a steer than of a picture. "'I didn't know that you found time for such things.' "'I know what is good when I see it, and I see it now. "'That's a kneller, I'll swear, that lady in the blue silk over yonder.' "'and the stout gentleman with the wig "'ought to be a Reynolds. "'They are all family portraits, I presume? "'Everyone. "'Do you know the names?' "'Barrymore has been coaching me in them, "'and I think I can say my lessons fairly well. "'Who is the gentleman with the telescope?' "'That is Rear Admiral Baskerville, "'who served under Rodney in the West Indies. "'The man with the blue coat and the roll of paper "'is Sir William Baskerville,' "'who was chairman of committees of the House of Commons under Pitt. "'And this cavalier opposite to me, "'the one with the black velvet and lace? "'Ah, you have a right to know about him. "'That is the cause of all the mischief. "'The wicked Hugo, who started the hound to the Baskervilles. "'We're not likely to forget him.' "'I gazed with interest and some surprise upon the portrait. "'Dear me,' said Holmes, "'he seems a quiet, meek-mannered man enough.' But I dare say that there was a lurking devil in his eyes. I had pictured him as a more robust and ruffianly person. There's no doubt about the authenticity, for the name and the date, 1647, are on the back of the canvas. Holmes said little more, but the picture of the old roisterer seemed to have a fascination for him, and his eyes were continually fixed upon it during supper. It was not until later, when Sir Henry had gone to his room, that I was able to follow the trend of his thoughts. He led me back into the banqueting hall, his bedroom candle in his hand, and he held it up against the time-stained portrait on the wall. Do you see anything there? I looked at the broad-plumed hat, the curling love locks, the white lace collar, and the straight, severe face which was framed between them. It was not a brutal countenance, but it was prim, hard, and stern, with a firm set, thin-lipped mouth, and a coldly intolerant eye. "'Does it look like anyone you know?' "'There is something of Sir Henry about the jaw.' "'Just a suggestion, perhaps. But wait an instant.' He stood upon a chair, and holding up the light in his left hand, he curved his right arm over the broad hat and round the long ringlets. "'Good heavens!' I cried in amazement. THE FACE OF STAPLETON HAD SPRUNG OUT OF THE CANVAS. HA! YOU SEE IT NOW. MY EYES HAVE BEEN TRAINED TO EXAMINE FACES, and NOT THEIR TRIMMINGS. IT IS THE FIRST QUALITY OF A CRIMINAL INVESTIGATOR THAT HE SHOULD SEE THROUGH A DISGUISE. BUT THIS IS MARVELOUS. IT MIGHT BE HIS PORTRAIT. YES. IT IS AN INTERESTING INSTANCE OF A THROWBACK, WHICH APPEARS TO BE both well PHYSICAL AND SPIRITUAL. "'A study of family portraits is enough to convert a man to the doctrine of reincarnation. "'The fellow is a Baskerville. "'That is evident. "'With designs upon the succession. "'Exactly. "'This chance of the picture has supplied us with one of our most obvious missing links. "'We have him, Watson. "'We have him. "'And I dare swear that before tomorrow night he will be fluttering in our net, "'as helpless as one of his own butterflies. "'A pin?' "'a cork and a card, "'and we add him to the Baker Street collection.' "'He burst into one of his rare fits of laughter "'as he turned away from the picture. "'I have not heard him laugh often, "'and that is always boded ill to somebody. "'I was up betimes in the morning, "'but Holmes was afoot earlier still, "'for I saw him as I dressed, coming up the drive. "'Yes, we should have a full day today,' he remarked, "'and he rubbed his hands with the joy of action.' the nets are all in place, and the drag is about to begin. We'll know before the day is out whether we have caught our big, lean-jawed pike or whether he has got through the meshes. Have you been on the moor already? I've sent a report from Grimpen to Princetown as to the death of Selden. I think I can promise that none of you will be troubled in the matter. And I've also communicated with my faithful Cartwright, who would certainly have pined away at the door of my hut, as a dog does at his master's grave, if I had not set his mind at rest about my safety. What is the next move? To see Sir Henry. Ah, here he is. Good morning, Holmes, said the baronet. You look like a general who is planning a battle with his chief of staff. That is the exact situation. Watson was asking for orders. And so do I. Very good. You are engaged, as I understand, to dine with our friends the Stapletons tonight. I hope that you will come also. They are very hospitable people, and I am sure they would be very glad to see you. I fear that Watson and I must go to London.' "'To London?' "'Yes, I think that we should be more useful there at the present juncture.' The baronet's face perceptibly lengthened. "'I hope that you are going to see me through this business. The hall and the moor are not very pleasant places when one is alone.' "'My dear fellow, you must trust me implicitly "'and do exactly what I tell you. "'You can tell your friends "'that we should have been happy to have come with you, "'but that urgent business required us to be in town. "'We hope very soon to return to Devonshire. "'Will you remember to give them that message?' "'If you insist upon it, yes. "'There is no alternative, I assure you.' "'I saw by the baronet's clouded brow "'that he was deeply hurt by what he regarded as our desertion. "'When do you desire to go?' "'He asked coldly. "'Immediately, after breakfast, "'we will drive into Coombe Tracy, "'but Watson will leave his things as a pledge "'that he will come back to you. "'Watson, you will send a note to Stapleton "'to tell him that you regret you cannot come.' "'I have a good mind to go to London with you,' "'said the baronet. "'Why should I stay here alone?' "'Because it is your post of duty, "'because you gave me your word "'that you would do as you were told.' and I told you to stay. All right, then. I'll stay. One more direction. I wish you to drive to Merripit House. Send back your trap, however, and let them know that you intend to walk home. To walk across the moor? Yes. But that's the very thing which you've so often cautioned me not to do. This time you may do it with safety. If I had not every confidence in your nerve and courage, I would not suggest it. But it is essential that you should do it. Then I will do it. And as you value your life, do not go across the moor in any direction, save along the straight path which leads from Merripit House to the Gripen Road, as is your natural way home. I will do just what you say. Very good. I should be glad to get away as soon after breakfast as possible.' "'so as to reach London in the afternoon. "'I was much astounded by this program, though. "'I remembered that Holmes had said to Stapleton "'on the night before "'that his visit would terminate next day. "'It had not crossed my mind, however, "'that he would wish me to go with him. "'Nor could I understand how we could both be absent "'at a moment which he himself declared to be critical. "'There was nothing for it, however, "'but implicit obedience. "'So he bade good-bye to our rueful friend,' and a couple of hours afterwards we were at the station of Coombe Tracy and had dispatched the trap upon its return journey. A small boy was waiting on the platform. "'Any orders, sir?' "'You will take this train to town, Cartwright. The moment you arrive you will send a wire to Sir Henry Baskerville in my name to say that if he finds the pocketbook which I have dropped he is to send it by registered post to Baker Street.' "'Yes, sir.' and ask at the station office if there's a message for me. The boy returned with a telegram, which Holmes handed to me. It ran. Wire received. Coming down with unsigned warrant. Arrive, 540. Lestrade. That is an answer to mine of this morning. He is the best of the professionals, I think, and we may need his assistance. Now, Watson, I think that we cannot employ our time better than by calling upon your acquaintance... Mrs. Laura Lyons. His plan of campaign was beginning to be evident. He would use the baronet in order to convince the Stapletons that we were really gone, while we should actually return at the instant when we were likely to be needed. That telegram from London, if mentioned by Sir Henry to the Stapletons, must remove the last suspicion from their minds. Already I seemed to see our nets drawing closer around that lean-jawed pike. Mrs. Laura Lyons was in her office, and Sherlock Holmes opened his interview with a frankness and directness which considerably amazed her. "'I am investigating the circumstances which attended the death of the late Sir Charles Baskerville,' said he. "'My friend here, Dr. Watson, has informed me of what you have communicated, and also of what you have withheld in connection with that matter.' "'What I have withheld?' she asked defiantly. "'You have confessed that you asked Sir Charles "'to be at the gate at ten o'clock. "'We know that that was the place and hour of his death. "'You have withheld what the connection is "'between these events.' "'There is no connection. "'In that case, the coincidence must indeed "'be an extraordinary one. "'But I think that we shall succeed "'in establishing a connection after all. "'I wish to be perfectly frank with you, Mrs. Lyons. "'We regard this case as one of murder.' and the evidence may implicate not only your friend Mr. Stapleton, but his wife as well. The lady sprang from her chair. "'His wife?' she cried. "'The fact is no longer a secret. The person who has passed for his sister is really his wife.' Mrs. Lyons had resumed her seat. Her hands were grasping the arms of her chair, and I saw that the pink nails had turned white with the pressure of her grip. "'His wife?' she said again. "'His wife? "'He's not a married man.' Sherlock Holmes shrugged his shoulders. "'Prove it to me, then. "'Prove it to me. "'And if you can do so—' The fierce flash of her eyes said more than any words. "'I have come prepared to do so,' said Holmes, drawing several papers from his pocket. "'Here is a photograph of the couple taken in York four years ago. "'It is endorsed Mr. and Mrs. Vandeleur.' "'but you will have no difficulty in recognizing him "'and her also, if you know her by sight. "'Here are three written descriptions "'by trustworthy witnesses of Mr. and Mrs. Vandeleur, "'who at that time kept Sir Oliver's private school. "'Read them, and see if you can doubt "'the identity of these people.' "'She glanced at them, and then looked up at us "'with the set, rigid face of a desperate woman. "'Mr. Holmes,' she said, this man has offered me marriage on condition that I could get a divorce from my husband. He has lied to me, the villain, in every conceivable way. Not one word of truth has he ever told me. And why? Why? I imagined that all was for my own sake. But now I see that I was never anything but a tool in his hands. Why should I preserve faith with him who never kept any with me? "'Why should I try to shield him from the consequences of his own wicked acts? "'Ask me what you like, and there is nothing which I shall hold back. "'One thing I swear to you, and that is that when I wrote the letter "'I never dreamed of any harm to the old gentleman, who had been my kindest friend.' "'I entirely believe you, madam,' said Sherlock Holmes. "'The recital of these events must be very painful to you, "'and perhaps it will make it easier if I tell you what occurred.' and you can check me if I make any material mistake. The sending of this letter was suggested to you by Stapleton. He dictated it. I presume that the reason he gave was that you would receive help from Sir Charles for the legal expenses connected with your divorce? Exactly. And then after you had sent the letter, he dissuaded you from keeping the appointment. He told me that it would hurt his self-respect that any other man should find the money for such an object, and that though he was a poor man himself, he would devote his last penny to removing the obstacles which divided us. He appears to be a very consistent character. And then you heard nothing until you read the reports of the death in the paper? No. And he made you swear to say nothing about your appointment with Sir Charles? He did. He said that the death was a very mysterious one, "'and that I should certainly be suspected "'if the facts came out. "'He frightened me into remaining silent.' "'Quite so. "'But you had your suspicions?' "'She hesitated and looked down. "'I knew him,' she said. But if, "'But if he had kept faith with me, "'I should always have done so with him.' "'I think that on the whole "'you have had a fortunate escape,' "'said Sherlock Holmes. "'You have had him in your power.' "'and he knew it, and yet you are alive. "'You have been walking for some months "'very near to the edge of a precipice. "'We must wish you good morning now, Mrs. Lyons, "'and it is probable that you will very shortly hear from us again.' "'Our case becomes rounded off, "'and difficulty after difficulty thins away in front of us,' "'said Holmes, as we stood waiting for the arrival of the express from town.' I shall soon be in the position of being able to put into a single connected narrative one of the most singular and sensational crimes of modern times. Students of criminology will remember the analogous incidents in Godno, in Little Russia, in the year 66. And, of course, there are the Anderson murders in North Carolina. But this case possesses some features which are entirely its own. Even now we have no clear case against this very wily man. But I shall be very much surprised if it is not clear enough, before we go to bed this night. The London Express came roaring into the station, and a small, wiry bulldog of a man had sprung from a first-class carriage. We all three shook hands, and I saw at once from the reverential way in which Lestrade gazed at my companion, that he had learned a good deal since the days when they had first worked together. I could well remember the scorn which the theories of the reasoner used then to excite in the practical man. "'Anything good?' he asked. "'The biggest thing for years,' said Holmes. "'We have two hours before we need to think of starting. I think we might employ it in getting some dinner, and then, Lestrade, we will take the London fog out of your throat by giving you a breath of the pure night air of Dartmoor.' "'Never been there?' "'Ah, well, I don't suppose you will forget your first visit.' next week chapter 14 the hound of the baskervilles we hope you enjoyed this episode and i wanted to share some reviews for you and we could use your review for 1001 stories for the road first one five stars three generations of listeners when my grandfather asked me how to play podcasts on his iphone 1001 was the first show i downloaded for him he loves the topics and the wholesome nature of the shows that one from Barefoot Indie, Apple Podcast, US. And this one. Thank you. Five stars. I'm grateful for these stories for the road. They help keep me awake if I need to on tired drives. It's great to get better acquainted with stories I have dim memory of from the past. One thing I wanted to note, slough, S-L-O-U-G-H, when referring to a swamp, is pronounced like someone saying ow. Or slough. Slough rhymes with ow in this particular instance. That one from Brynvin Apple Podcast. U.S. And Brynvin, Brynvin, I normally don't read word corrections, but your review was so nice, I couldn't help it. Five stars, pure gold. Mr. Hagedorn has, in all his podcasts, captured the excitement, entertainment, and professional quality of the classic radio personalities. A reliable source of excellence, John is a credit, specifically to the world of podcasts and generally to the world of entertainment. I'm a longtime fan of old time radio, having given up on television since 1990. I'm so glad to have found the 1001 podcast. Thank you sincerely, Keith Peacott. Thank you all so very, very much. It's appreciated. Everybody stay safe, and we'll be back next Sunday night, 8 p.m.